Now let's take our Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to jump into this study. We're going to go rapid fire because I want to get us out here, hopefully by 12.15. That is the goal. And Lord willing, we'll take place. But let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now if you were here two weeks ago, I talked about some interesting things. I talked about how when Jesus was born on the earth, the angels, they cried out, glory to God, where? In the highest, peace and what? Goodwill towards men. So when Jesus came to the earth, all the angels were praising God and they said peace and goodwill towards men. However, we learned that at the end of Luke, that when the disciples were praising Jesus because they thought he was about to be crowned king of Israel, they were saying glory to God in the highest, peace in heaven. They believe as long as their plans were being worked out, that peace was going to take place in heaven, that heaven was finally going to be reconciled to earth. But folks, we learned that heaven already made the first move. Amen? But what we're going to do is we're going to revisit that story in Luke chapter 2. There's some things I want us to take a good look at. As I was studying this topic out a little bit more, I felt there were some other things that needed to be expressed. So let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And this is one of the, the most famous Christmas stories that you find in the Gospels. But I want you to pay attention to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. You're going to see something very interesting about the context. About the what? Context. That's exactly right. Because it's important to understand the world in which Jesus was born into. Luke chapter 2. Let's start with verse 1. Now it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from who? Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. You know what's really great about the Bible that makes it different from all other books? Because it talks about real people in real places. Can you say amen to that? Real people in real places. This is what makes the Bible so unique, is that we can go back and we can verify the existence of these people and the existence of these real events. So Luke chapter 2 starts off with something very interesting. It talks about which emperor? Caesar Augustus. You know why that's very interesting? Because this was the highest authority that was existing on earth at that time. Now you may think to yourself, Anel, what's the big deal? Well, it wasn't until I was studying out Caesar Augustus that some striking parallels were starting to come to the forefront of this topic. Caesar Augustus was a very unusual emperor. Now look at some of these parallels about Caesar Augustus. There are actually calendars that have been discovered about Caesar Augustus. And on these calendars, it is written these words. Are you ready for this? The gospel has gone out to the world. It is the birthday of Augustus. Now pay attention to that phrase. The gospel has gone out to that world. Now the word gospel simply means good, word, good news. And what was the good news? That Caesar Augustus was in the world. There are actually Roman calendars that have been discovered that actually use that phrase, the gospel has gone out to the entire world. But they're not talking about the gospel of the Bible. They're talking about the so-called good news that Caesar Augustus was in town. We actually have Roman calendars that say that. Here's another parallel. Augustus was prophesied that he would be the savior of of the world. The savior of the world. Here's the third parallel. 
Caesar, Julius Caesar, was regarded by the Romans as God. Hence, Augustus Caesar was called, what? The son of God. We're not looking at biblical sort of archaeology. These are extra biblical artifacts and manuscripts that have been discovered that are saying these things. Now think about that. Think about Caesar Augustus, the highest known authority at that time. He was called the son of God, the adopted son of God. Caesar Augustus was not the natural born son of Julius Caesar. He, He ushered in what's called the golden era. In addition to that, his coins were marked the advent of Augustus. The advent of Augustus. Now this is very interesting. Because while all eyes were looking at Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of God, the one who would usher in the golden era, the one where there's even manuscripts that describe him sitting at the right hand of God, Jesus was born. What an unusual parallel. The whole world is looking at Caesar Augustus and they're looking at this counterfeit king. At the same time, the real king of Israel is about to be born. Now let's go back to Luke chapter 2 again. Luke chapter 2. Last two weeks, two weeks ago, I hit on this topic that's very interesting, but I want us to touch it again, okay? Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, talking about Mary and Joseph, the days were completed for her to be what? Delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a what? Manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Two weeks ago, we learned that the word for manger is actually not the word manger, but it's the word what? Who knows? Trough. Feed trough. The the Roman writer, excuse me, not the Roman writer, Luke himself needed to describe where Jesus was born, so he simply put feed trough. It would lead the, the readers to realize, oh, this was a manger, more like a cave. But it's very interesting. Three times the word manger is actually mentioned in Luke chapter 2. You go to any concordance, you will always see the word, and if you've got a very good Bible, it'll tell you right in the footnotes, the word for manger is feed trough. It doesn't actually mean manger. It was put there by the translators. Three times it's mentioned. Now take a good look at the other times it's mentioned in Luke chapter 2. Jump all the way to verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Then they were greatly afraid. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David who, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a what? Manger. In fact, when you read a little bit further, you find out that the shepherds talked to each other and they said, hey, let's go see this thing. Let's go to this manger. Three times that's mentioned. And Luke is very intentional about writing this. Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in a manger. He was born in a manger. Luke was actually saying he was born in a feed trough or he was put in a feed trough. And the way he was presented said something about him. Now imagine this. What's a feed trough? It's almost like a a, a wooden rectangular bowl that was used to feed animals. 
All the angels, they told the shepherds, guess what? When you find the Messiah, you're going to find him on a dinner plate. Because it was designed to communicate something. I know a lot of nativity scenes show Jesus in the arms of Mary, but that's not what the angel said. The angel said, you're going to find the Messiah. He's going to be in the feed trough. Why is that very interesting? Because Jesus is the bread of life. Can you say amen to that? Jesus says, unless you eat and drink of my flesh, you have no life in you. You know what else is very interesting? The word Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It appears three times in the Gospel of Luke. Bethlehem, the city of David. Bethlehem, the city of David. You know what that means? Who knows what Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. House of bread. By the way, if you study out the prophecy of Bethlehem, you'll find in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, I think it is, a little bit further down, that when this prophecy was given, it says that the shepherd will feed his people. It was all designed to communicate a lesson to all the people of Israel and to us at that time, that when Christ would come, he would not give food, but he himself would be the food. This was all designed to communicate a lesson to each and every one of us. That God is the bread of life for us. Can you say amen to that? This is the gospel. A lot of people have a hard time with this. You know that? They have a hard time with this. When we think of the straightforward message, I was contemplating this idea. We like to think about straightforward messages and things that need to come out clear and succinct and direct for people to understand. But I want to let you guys know something. There is no more straightforward a message than you can ever find in the scriptures or spirit of prophecy than the gospel story itself. You know why? Because it challenges the pride of humanity. And I love what Ellen White says. She says, the gospel lays the glory of man in the dust. The dust. So when you're taking a good look at this gospel story, you are seeing the humility of Christ and it rubs against the natural pride and self that's in our heart. It causes us to search and to examine. Self-reflection is not the easiest thing for any of us. Amen? But when you read Joel chapter 2 and it's talking about the latter rain, we're all about the latter rain, we're all about the latter rain. But if you read the majority of Joel chapter 2, the first part of it deals with searching your heart and rending your heart and not your garments. Folks, this is very important for us to understand. The gospel story, the birth of Jesus is challenging the pride of mankind. It is challenging everything that we exalt and it is debasing it lower and lower and lower. And Jesus being born in a manger was not just for the rich, it was for the poor. Amen? Think about that for just a second. Poor men don't have access to rich men's house, right? But rich men have access to poor men's house. The very fact that Jesus was born in that manger was designed to communicate a message to the entire world about the pride of humanity, the pride of sin itself. But it would be accessible to everybody. Can you say amen to that? That is the gospel story, and that's what I love about it. But this is very interesting. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. 
Go to verse 13. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, what? Praising God and saying, glory to God, where? In the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards what? Men. Does anybody know this song? Does anybody know this song? Has anybody ever sung this song? Glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill towards men. Okay, apparently none of us have sung this song before. Here's another question. Is this the first time this song has ever been sung? Now, if you answer, you better have evidence to back up what you're saying. We're all like Sabbath school in the, you know, in the tater tots, or the tiny tots, and we always go, uh, tater tots, back. You know where my heart's at right now, okay, so. We'll, we'll, we'll like, we'll raise our hand and say, Jesus, as the answer to every question, and it's always right every time, right? But here's the thing. Is this the first time this song was sung? Now imagine that. The angels are praising God at that very moment when they see their Savior. They tell the shepherds, you're going to find the baby, the, the hope of mankind. He's going to be in a, a feed trough. And you're going to see him. At that moment, all the other angels, they start singing and all the lights and the, the, the flashing lights come on and everybody's just praising God. Ellen White even says that the shepherds had to actually get used to that one angel before the other angels could show up. The glory was so bright. But was this the first time these angels ever sung this song? Now you say no. You better give me a good reason why you're saying no. This was not the first time these angels sung this song. In fact, in some study of the spirit of prophecy, this song had been sung before. Do you want to know where? It's very interesting. In the book, Early Writings, Ellen White has this unusual vision and she sees something very special. She sees at the very moment that mankind was entering into transgression when Adam and Eve were sinning. She sees in vision Jesus going before the Father. And there, three times in this heavenly embrace, the light flowed out from all of them, and all the angels actually had to hold back their, their face and their wings had to cover their eyes because it was so great. And three times there was this unusual heavenly embrace. And all of heaven was sorrowful. Because they knew that mankind had just rebelled. They had lost a third of the angels to the rebellion. And now, the new creation has just rebelled as well. And these angels are full of sorrow. She says that all of heaven was sorrowing at this moment. But when Jesus came out of that embrace, she says something glorious. She says this. That Jesus stood before all his angels... And said to them, a way of escape has been made for humanity. At that moment, all the angels, they were praising God. And, ah, you know, they were just thanking God. Oh, there's high fives and stuff like that. I have to go back and read that. But anyways, so anyway, so like they were just praising God and just glorifying God. At that very moment, yes, they were excited that a way had been found. Except Jesus then said, 
but let me tell you about that way. You can imagine the hush that went over the entire crowd of angels. Jesus then said, I'm going to have to pay with my life. I'm going to have to become a man and go down to that planet and overcome sin on behalf of humanity. And you can imagine all the angels, (gasps) and they're just standing back. And then Jesus says something else. I'm going to be captured, beaten, then crucified. And you can imagine some of the angels probably fainting and some of them are just like wounding themselves, trying to keep themselves awake at that very moment. Their beloved commander had just told them that he was about to die an ugly, horrible death. I know in today's culture, the cross is seen as something pleasant and represents something spiritual, but back then, that cross was completely a weapon of torture designed for the horrible, the most horrible, worst criminals. And as Jesus is expressing this to the, uh, to the angels, she says, sorrow filled all of heaven again. What's very interesting is that that very moment, some of the angels themselves, she says, prostrated themselves. And they said, I'll give my life. I'll give my life. And you can imagine some of these angels and all of a sudden all the other angels probably came down as well. We'll give our lives. We'll give our lives. And you can imagine Jesus full of the sanctified pride for his creation, his angels that are loyal to him. At that very moment, just blown away by the loyalty of his angels. You can imagine he puts his hand on their shoulders and Ellen White says this, word for word, it is not possible for an angel to pay for an infinite transgression. Why? Because an infinite law had been broken. An infinite transgression took place and only an infinite being could pay the price not a finite being. That very moment, Ellen White says, all the angels bowed in submission. Jesus goes a step further and tells his angels, some of you guys are going to be tempted to deliver me, but you cannot. You cannot. And they bowed again in submission. And then they stood up And she says something very interesting. It was at this moment that the angels started singing. And guess what song they sung? She says the first strain of that song, sung on Bethlehem thousands of years later, was sung right there. Glory to God in the highest peace and goodwill towards men. That's in early writings. At that very moment. So when these angels were singing this song thousands of years later, this was no new song. The plan of redemption, when it was introduced to them, that's when that song was first sung. Can you say amen to that? 
And I hope to heaven one day we're going to hear that song again. Can you say amen to that? This is the thing. All of heaven rejoices at the humiliation of Christ for you and for me. Can you say amen to that? Humility is not an easy thing. It is definitely not an easy thing on this world. One day I was going around a group of leaders I well respect. And I was trying to find out from them what is the sort of the top principles of leadership. And I was expecting to hear some mighty things. And some of them did say some awesome things. One guy said this. He said, when I came up to him, he said, what does it take to be a good leader? And he said to me, well, it's going to take a strong hand. That's what it's going to take to be a good leader. I said, okay. Went to another leader, and I said to him, I said, what's it take to be a good leader? And he said, you got to pray for the Holy Spirit each and every day. I said, good, amen. I went to another leader, and I said, what's it going to take to be an excellent leader? And he said, prayer and Bible study. That's the key, prayer and Bible study. But it was the last one I went to that was very interesting. And I went up to him and I said, what's it going to take to be a good leader? And he looked at me and he said, let me tell you something. One word. Humility. And I was just stuck there for a second. Humility? Humility. Folks, I want to tell you something. When it comes to being a leader in this church, a leader in your family, Jesus has one model. Servanthood leadership. Can you say amen to that? Serving others. That is what leadership is all about. It's not the one who calls the shots or the one who controls, but the one who serves the most is respected in the eyes of heaven. Can you say amen to that? And we can praise God for his humiliation on our behalf. Amen? amen. Jesus made the first move for humanity. He made the very first move. And he wrought a supernatural salvation for each and every one of us. Folks, this is the straightforward message of the gospel. We're told that the third angel's message is none other than justification by faith. And when this message goes out with power, when people realize that God's grace is available to them, that this gospel is available to each and every one of them, there will be powerful things that take place in the church. Amen? Come hell or high water, the gospel is going to be preached in this church. Amen? We want the truth of God's grace to go out to each and every one of us, to each and every one of our neighbors. And what our lives are, this is very important, folks, don't miss this. What our lives are is the reaction or response to the gospel. We show in our lives, the way we live our lives, the things we do, what we give or what we take back, our response to the gospel message. Whether you want to believe that or not, that is the case. The gospel is not what you do, it's what he did. Amen? But your life is a reaction to that gospel message. Your life is a reaction to that gospel message. Your life is a declaration of that response to the gospel message. What Christ has done. Jesus didn't say rejoice because you have overcome the world. He said be of good cheer because... I have overcome the world. Amen? He placed salvation and the joy of salvation not upon your shoulders, shoulders, but upon his. Can you say amen to that? And folks, I got one Christmas present from God to you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Here it is. This is the Christmas present. Powerful quote. Powerful quote. Whatever may have been your past experience, 
This is how this quote begins. Whatever may have been your past experience, you might have thought to yourself, wow, this year was going to be a great year and it turned out to be the worst year of your life. You might have thought to yourself that you were going to come in and you were just going to blow this year away. You're going to reach heights you had never reached. And here you are at the very end of the year and you've come in crash landing. You're partly able to control. your shipwreck, And you're thinking to yourself, this year has been the worst year of my life. Whatever has been your past experience. You thought to yourself, man, I have reached the bottom of the pit. And you come out a week later to realize it's deeper than you thought it was. I've been there. Whatever has been your past experience. Look at the next part. However discouraging your present circumstances. You may be wrestling with sin even right now as we speak. However present, your dis- however present is this discouraging situation. I'm saying that wrong. Let me repeat it one more time. However discouraging your present circumstances. Whatever has been your past experience and your present circumstance. If you will come to Jesus just as you are weak, helpless, and despairing. Our compassionate Savior will meet you a great way off and will throw about you his arms of love and his robes of righteousness. Don't you love that first part? I really love that. Whatever's been your past experience and your present circumstances. You might have gone away with everybody else about your true condition, but guess what? When it comes to God, you can't lie. Amen? He knows. Whatever has been your past experience or your present circumstances, you can come to Christ just as you are. Just as you are. And look what she says. He presents to us the Father clothed in the white raiment of his own character. He pleads before God in our own behalf, saying, I have taken the sinner's place. Look not upon this werewolf child, but look on me. And I love this last part. Does Satan plead loudly against our souls, accusing us of sin? Do you hear the voice of sin? The voice of Satan in your life telling you today that you are not okay before God. Do you hear Satan telling you today that you are not what you are supposed to be. That you have failed in being what God has called you to be. I love the last part. The blood of Christ pleads with greater power. Can you say amen to that church family? This is why angels rejoice at the birth of the Savior. This is why they rejoiced when Jesus revealed to them the gospel story. Because the blood of Jesus pleads for you and it pleads for me. We can find peace with God through his blood. Amen? Amen. And there might be somebody today who needs heaven's peace again. Ellen White says simply ask for it. However discouraging your situation is or your past experience, God wants to grant it to you. Amen? Amen. He's presenting himself to each and every person. How many people today want to come to Jesus just as they are? Say, Lord, I just want to come to you just as I am. Amen. Merry Christmas from Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. 
that we can come to you just as we are, Lord, imperfect. And Lord, we thank you that the gospel is the motivation for sanctification, that mercy motivates. Thank you, Lord, that the goodness of God leads to repentance. I know there's somebody here today, Lord, who needs heaven's peace, who has been struggling with something. And right now, God, they need your peace more than ever before. I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you just as we are. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for every person here. Pray that every person leaves, Lord, with the knowledge and the hope that they have in you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.